Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Awakens podcast. This is episode 41, hard to believe. Uh, I did look up the date uh, this last week of when we started it, and it was later in February, just about this time, that we did the first ever podcast of the Faith Awakens. So it's kind of like our year anniversary almost as well. So very cool. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, I'm Father Tom Hennon, chaplain here at the university, joined as always by my co-host. Megan Grady, PCM, friend Father Tom, and all, everyone. <laughs> very <laughs> Happy good. to be here again, yeah. And uh, yeah, can you believe 41 episodes? I can't, I can't, I can't even fathom it. It seems like, you know, I, I, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we nope. started. Yeah. Goes quick. I can't Goes believe quick. it, yeah. And today is extra, extra special because mm-hmm. uh, on our podcast today, we have a very special guest, Sister Joan Lashinsky, our president, um, at least for a little while longer, <laughs> uh, 13th president of St. Ambrose University and um, has been here for 14 years uh, and blessed to have her with us today on the show. And mm-hmm. so welcome, Sister Joan. Thank you, Father Tom, and thank you, Megan. It's a thrill to be here, and I want to thank you for doing these podcasts. I think they've been a wonderful addition to what we offer. Oh, it's been a so real, much. especially during the depths of the pandemic, we were still able to do this remotely by calling in, and so it was something that we could be doing to That's kind right. of reach out oh, still, yeah. even amidst of that. And and uh, Dave tells us how many people listen in. I don't know how many it is. Sometimes I wonder at your numbers there, Dave. Not just you know, not calling you into question or anything, but um, but I do know that people listen because people come up to me and say, "Oh, I like the podcast this sure. week." Yeah. So you know, it's good. And if it's a low number, you can blame it on me, Father. Oh. And make it, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh that. no, this is gonna be our best one yet. I want to say though before we start. Um, you, um, Sister Joan, we love you on the, I'm on the cross country and track team and we get so excited when we see you come to our meets and stuff. So they would kill me if I didn't say that, that we're your biggest fans, the distance runners. Well, and I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) So it's kind of fun to see. And you had a meet yesterday and Sister Joan was there. Yeah. She brings good luck every time she comes. I swear we run fast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sister Joan, there's a lot that I want to ask you about, about your time here as president. Um, and we'll certainly get into that, but I kind of wanted to start with, you know, people know you as the president of the university and they see you in all these kind of official capacities and things like that. But I don't know that they really know uh, a lot necessarily about your your own kind of faith story. They know you're a religious sister, but they don't know what that means or how you discerned that or came to that in your life. So um, I would just be curious. I think our listeners would be curious about a little bit of that story. Sure. Thank you, Father. I'd be glad to. Uh, I was raised in Albany, New York, upstate New York, with an older brother and an older sister uh, by very devout Catholic parents. But you'd need to know we didn't have any religious in our family, so it wasn't as though I had a model for uh, being a religious sister. However, all of us went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school and had in those schools magnificent sisters as teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew I wanted to be a teacher and then suddenly began to see all these wonderful women teaching as a ministry and living religious life in community. But quite frankly, all through my grade school and even all my high school years till senior year, I just figured I'd study, get a scholarship because my parents didn't have much money. and we, They wanted us to go to college, so they said earn scholarships. I'd go and I'd get a degree and I'd find a wonderful man to marry and have children. And that's the life I believed God had called me to. And it wasn't until my senior year when our Catholic high school had retreats, uh, silent retreats over a long weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at a nearby retreat house. The boys went one weekend and the girls went one weekend. 
And so I went to it because that's what you did. Uh, and I had a steady boyfriend and my a very active social life. And it was before Thanksgiving of my senior year. And uh, silence is not something that young people, maybe even today, do very naturally. So it was kind of an odd <laughs> yeah. environment for me to be in. But I remember uh, going into the chapel that first night. Uh, it was quiet. And I just felt called to say, God, I don't know what you want me to do with my life, but I sure help, hope you'll help me figure it out because I don't know that I could figure it out by myself. Hmm. Now, this will sound strange, but as clearly as we are hearing each other today, Megan and Father Tom, I heard within me a voice say, you should come to religious life. Hmm. Now, I don't know about you, that scared the living daylights <laughs> out of me because I just didn't have any model for it and certainly had never expected that to be part of my life. Mm. So for the rest of the two days yeah. in silence, I'm wandering around with this image but not knowing what to do with it at all. Mm. Came home from the retreat, and you know how mothers are very intuitive folks, and my mother was. They said, how was it? I said, oh, it was good, Ma. My brother and sister were already out of mm. the house. I was the youngest. And my mother said to my father that night, something happened to her on that retreat. Mm. And I didn't say anything. For two weeks, I didn't say anything. I wandered around just sort of babbling to myself, what was I to do with this insight? And I remember I was going on a date with my boyfriend, and he said, you seem sort of preoccupied. Is everything? Oh, I said, I'm just, you know, got things on my mind. No, I'm fine. So (laughs) he was pretty insightful, too. Um, And finally, I thought, well, I'll go see our, our pastor because it was his grade school that I went to, and that's where I had the Sisters of St. Joseph. And so I thought, I'll go up to see him. And he loved the kids in the school. He'd always come over, and he'd encourage us on our way home to stop in the rectory and the housekeeper to bring us all chocolate chip cookies and all. So we adored the man, and I saw him every Sunday, of course. So I said to my mom, I'm going for a ride on the bicycle, and I went up to the rectory, knocked on the door, and the housekeeper came, and she said, Joan, we haven't seen you in a while. I said, is Monsignor available? And she said, sure, he'll be thrilled to see you. So I go in, and he said, oh, good, good to see you, Joan. How are your mom and dad, blah, blah. And he said, uh, what have you seen here this year, right? I said, yeah. He said, so what, what's next for you? <laughs> I said, well, Monsignor, that's why I'm here. Hmm. And I told him what happened, and I said, so I, I just think that's what I'm supposed to do. And I I don't know what to do with this. Can you help me? And he <laughs> smiled. He's a very wise man. And he said, Joan, he said, I wondered when you'd figure that out. <laughs> and I looked at him shocked. And I said, what do you mean, Monsignor? He said, it has been very clear to me that you have a call to religious life. And I said to him, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and he very wisely said, no, no. That has to come from God and from within you. But you've heard that call now. And he said, what do your mother and father think? I said, nobody knows this but you. I didn't know who to talk to. He said, go home and tell your mother and father and then ask them to call me. Because since you don't have any religious uh, in your immediate family, they may have many questions which I can answer for them. Mm-hmm. And then he gave me directions on how to connect up with the Sisters of St. Joseph, my the, the 
community I belong to. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Hmm. And uh, to this day, I, I, I can hear that little thing. I you think you're supposed to be in religious life. That's how it happened. It was wow. a total mystery and an absolute surprise to me. Mm-hmm. But I entered then uh, right out of high school. Uh, I had a 50th anniversary of my vows a couple of years ago. Uh, and a religious life uh, is a vocation, like marriage is a vocation, and single life ministry is a vocation. And when you find the one that God has called you to, uh, it is a wonderful thing. And I would say I feel blessed uh, in the f- now 50-some years that I've been in religious life, just uh, that God called me to the thing that I see now in my life was what I was meant to do. So I have mm. been blessed, and Father, that's the, I was going to yeah. say the long and short of it, but it seems kind of long to me, but there you go. That's okay. a beautiful story. And, you know, I was thinking of um, how that, responding to that call in the way that you did, um, opened opportunities that you might not have otherwise had. I know that you're a first-generation college student yeah, from absolutely. your family, yeah, and, yeah. and in a sense, religious life opened that possibility as it did for a lot of women in that time and and so and just sometimes we so focus with these religious vocations on what we're giving up and we don't realize what we're embracing or what is coming from that 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 can be life-giving and fruitful oh it is and and that thing in the gospel that says you know you've been given a hundredfold i think in my life when whenever it is my life is over and god and i are having a conversation i'm going to say you didn't give back to me a hundredfold you gave back to me a thousand thousandfold Mm -hmm. because that's how i feel that's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and obviously it brought you to our doors, too. So um, after being president at another university mm-hmm. uh, and came to St. Ambrose 14 years ago, almost this mm-hmm. August, will be 14 years. Yep. I think you told me before we started the interview, it'll be 14 years and one day. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> that one extra day, is the, that's a testament to your, there you go, right. there you your go. character and, and longevity uh-huh. here at the university. Right. So. Um, and that's what I kind of want to talk about next, I guess, would be what are some of your fondest memories since you came here as president or things that you have really loved about this place or that have been particularly meaningful to you as president? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when I think about what is it that I will miss when I leave here, it really can all be summed up in one word, and that is the people. Mm. Um, when I came, think about it, I came from Terre Haute, Indiana, where I was nine years of president. Prior to that, I'd been at colleges, Catholic colleges in St. Louis and in uh, Kansas City, but I had spent 20 years uh, as an co- English professor at a college in Albany, New York, or the, the, mm. our sisters ran. Uh, and so I'm a New Yorker, born and, born and bred. Came to the Midwest and fell in love with it, and, as you can see haven't left it for 30 some years. Um, but when I when I came here, I remember saying to the wonderful assistant in my office, Kathy Anderson, who'd been Dr. Rogalski's assistant too, I said, Kathy, I, I know how to be a president, but I don't know St. Ambrose. I don't know the Quad Cities. I don't know Iowa. I am ignorant of all of those things. And those really are cultural pieces of education. Mm-hmm. Please, teach me. And Kathy, uh, especially, but along with others, really taught me what we would say now, easily, what it means to be an Ambrosian, what it means to be in this culture, and the number of people, as I think back, 
faculty, staff, students, alums, donors, people in the Quad Cities, friends, uh, those number in the tens of thousands at this point. Mm. Uh, that is what has been for me the greatest joy, the welcome I received. And I've said that to our incoming president, our president-elect, Dr. Amy Novak. I said, what you will discover is a wonderfully welcoming community. I came, as they say in the scriptures, a stranger and you took me in. And that is the experience I have had here. And I know whenever we bring new people on, you know, after all, they've been here a while, I say, how's it going? And they say, everybody's so welcoming. Yep, I said, and that's not put on. That is the welcoming nature of where we are in the country, in our Quad City area, and certainly at St. Ambrose. Yeah. What would you say are some of, um, maybe start with a highlight or two of your particular administration of the university over these 14 years, and then maybe in general, or maybe there's a particular instance that you can think of, of a challenge yeah. or something that was really difficult to get the college through. Sure. I'm imagining this last year, <laughs> make the list. Yeah, but what say COVID, <laughs> COVID makes the top two, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe a, like I say, a, a triumph and a challenge. Sure, sure. Well, if I think about accomplishments, uh, many people have said, what, what are the accomplishments? What have been the challenges? I think the accomplishments, um, I'd say, what we have accomplished in the last 14 years is amazing. And I don't use, I'm an English teacher, the pronoun lightly. Notice I said what we have accomplished. Mm. Because as I say to many of the new presidents that I mentor, since I've been one a long time now, uh, don't say a whole lot of I's. Mm-hmm. say a whole lot of we's mm-hmm. because there's nothing that you'll accomplish and certainly nothing that I took part in accomplishing uh, at St. Ambrose or any place else I've been where we've had accomplishments that was done on my own. Mm-hmm. I always had with me wonderfully creative, insightful, committed faculty and staff Students, uh, also, and Megan, you're certainly one of those folks. Um, <laughs> and uh, but also lots of people in the community, uh, other college and university presidents. I think of somebody like President Steve Balls, with whom I've become friends over these last years. A whole lot of people have helped us accomplish a great deal. If I look at the university, I put them probably under two major headings. One would be the academic. Uh, Uh, programming that we have done. Mm -hmm. You know, we look, and Ambrose has done this when I went back and studied our history from the very beginning. We looked around in the society in which we found ourselves. Bishop McMullen did this in 1882. And he said, what isn't there and what is needed? And we were a brand new diocese in 1882. And he said, we need a seminary. And we don't have a Catholic school, past high school, for Catholic men. And so he established St. Ambrose to be a university and to be, as it was called then, a school of commerce for Catholic men. And so it answered a need at that time. And if you were to trace all those years since then, right till today, we have had uh, faculty and staff and board members and administrators who continually looked around at society and said, what's needed. So in the last 14 years, here are a couple of examples in academic programming. Uh, one of the things we know is the great uh, need for medical services, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in rural areas, if we look at Iowa and Western Illinois. Mm-hmm. And out of that grew, and it came right, of our, right out of our faculty, uh, they came and they said, we think we could do a wonderful physician assistant graduate program. Mm-hmm. 
And so it took time and a couple million dollars in resources to make it happen. We put an addition onto the building there. Uh, and we have now an outstanding physician assistant program now serving thousands of people in our area and beyond. Another example of that at the undergraduate level would be the undergraduate program in sales. You know, as I talk to business leaders, and I do all the time and have in both my presidencies, and said to them, what do you need in college graduates today? And what we heard again and again is the folks coming out of your business department are very, very good, but almost always the first job we put them in is sales, and they don't have any training in sales. So I brought that back to, again, to our faculty who first started courses in sales, and then a minor, and then ultimately a major, which is now a wonderfully successful major, and those students get hired very, very quickly. I use those as two examples because, and Dr. Novak will do this in her administration, I'm sure, the university will continue to look around and see what are the needs today that St. Ambrose University can answer. So those are examples about uh, what I would call programmatic accomplishments. Um, one of the things also is if you're going to do good programs, you better have good buildings to put them in. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I came, the first thing the board said to me is, we're growing these great uh, health sciences programs and we don't have space for them. You need to go out and raise $10.5 million and build us a state-of-the-art uh, health sciences building and we did that and again notice the pronouns so many people helped in doing that and in 2010 we were able to put that building up and to have it now be one of the centerpieces of excellence in our university but we've also in the course of 14 years uh, we have raised and spent almost 100 million dollars on our university think about things as exciting as well the wellness recreation yeah. center mm -hmm. or the health sciences building mm -hmm. or uh, north hall uh, beautiful new buildings like that or now this gorgeous extension and rehabilitation to McMullen oh, yeah. but other things that aren't so classy I guess that people would say wow wow but are necessary when I came Ambrose Hall our iconic building the building that represents us to the world uh, it was old it was bad, built back started in 1885 <laughs> and bricks were falling off the face of it for heaven's sakes and I remember saying to the board we need to take care of this building this is our iconic building. Mm -hmm. And so they agreed. And we spent, uh, Father Tom, you will remember, I think this may have been Megan before you came here, <laughs> now as a senior, the, the building was swathed for 18 months in scaffolding oh. while we did the outside of the building from the top of the steeple to below ground. Uh, and now it's sound and in beautiful shape, including 400 new specially done windows, uh, <laughs> which now save us 100,000 plus a year in energy costs uh, because they are efficient and uh, help us in our sustainability efforts. Um, those are the kinds of things that over the years, again, help the institution to be strong and to move forward with. Now, I didn't think all that up myself, of course. I was following in the footsteps of a brilliant uh, 12th president, Dr. Ed Rogalski, for whom our Rogalski Center is named. And he was the one who, when he came into office in uh, 1987, he looked around and said, 
if we want this university to grow, we need to be able to house students on campus. Then we can uh, go out recruit from a distance, and he's the one who really did the outreach to Chicago and built several of the university uh, residence halls that we have. He also built the library. He renovated our beautiful chapel, and of course, they built the, the student center, Rogalski Center, in his time. All of that helps us deliver our programs, both the curricular and the co-curricular, at the highest possible level of excellence. One of the things when I came, I met our wonderful then Director of Athletics, whom we all love, um, Ray Shevlin, and I discovered that the only things we could host on our campus were basketball and volleyball in our Lee Loman Arena, and everything else had to be done elsewhere. And so the board again said, one of your priorities is to buy land and the St. Vincent's property was coming up for sale and help us build the the athletic uh, facilities that we have never had. So over the years, of course, we're now uh, finishing up phase two. We'll finish that this summer uh, of the St. Vincent Center. And that again has helped us have the facilities for folks uh, like Megan, who runs on our track and field teams, both indoor and next year we'll have it outdoor. So Megan, you won't get to do that one, but your successors in the program I'm glad my friends will have it. That's exactly right. (laughs) So um, those, I think, are some of the things we can look for. Now, challenges, the challenges were there when Dr. Rogalski was there. They were here when I was here. They will be here when Dr. Novak is here. And one of the biggest challenges in higher education, private higher education, is that because we are not state-supported, we have two ways to support ourselves. One is through fundraising, which we aggressively do all the time, and one is through our tuition. Now, any of you who are listening to this who are in school yourself or have children or grandchildren in colleges, you know how expensive it is. And one of the things we've taken as a challenge is to try to keep our costs as low as possible but still have the resources to deliver excellent programs. And so we increase our tuition rates very, very modestly every year. It used to be in the 80s and the 90s and even in the early aughts that colleges and universities, both public and private, increased their tuition rates 5, 6, 7, 8, 10% a year. I knew that that model was broken. And when I came here, I said to the board, we have to scale that back. And we did, and it's been very modest since then. Nonetheless, it remains an enormous challenge for our students and their families. So one of the things that I'm pleased to say that we've done is get many, many more endowed scholarships so that we have tuition support that we can give to our students that lessens the burden on them and their families and also lessens the loan burden that many students have to take out uh, while they are here as they are at many, many colleges and universities. That's a big challenge and it's going to continue to be a big challenge. Uh, And that's been true, as I said, for many, many years. So I know Dr. Novak will keep that in mind, and she will, I am sure, continue in that same mode to make sure that the burden on our students and their families uh, will be uh, as, as low as it can possibly be. 
that's mm-hmm. and there's what over a hundred um, scholarships at that's this right. point that that's and right. that's really been built up very recently more than doubled in the last, last number years, of years so and we're thrilled about that yeah. yeah and when you love a place so passionately and care for what it is about you want as many people to have the opportunity to Absolutely. have that as possible and so that's a I think a, a fruit of that but. precisely. I'm going to change tax a little bit sure. here. Uh, sure. Megan and I both know that you are an avid reader uh-huh. and a movie buff, uh-huh. um, and we know that you don't just work all the time, um, <laughs> although it may appear so right. to others. But uh, what are you reading right now? Sure. What do you like to watch? Sure. Uh, what's sure. a good movie you've seen? Sure. Any of that kind of sure. thing. Sure. To- sure. I am a movie fanatic and have been for decades, but of course I've uh, been a little crimped in the last year, although uh, Netflix and other things have been a great, great uh, boon to help yeah. us get through that time uh, when I was um, until last year I for at least 35 years every year made it a point to see all the films that were up for best picture <laughs> by the Academy wow. Award before oh the Academy God. Awards were announced and then I was always in a betting pool not a lot of money of course in a betting <laughs> pool with what did we think would win and so on they should have put you on the Academy so but uh, so although I haven't been able to see a lot of movies uh, in theaters, although shortly I think we will be able to get back to some of that, especially as we are fortunate to get vaccine, vaccinated and so on. Um, the uh, But I am a, a fanatic reader and uh, newspapers, magazines of all kinds, but also books. And right now, uh, the two books that I'm reading, uh, one is I'm just finishing up now uh, the wonderful uh David McCullough uh, biography of John Adams and I had done readings of some of the stuff he had done on Thomas Jefferson Mm -hmm. and maybe you both knew this but I didn't it was news to me they were both rivals and supporters as founding fathers John Adams and Thomas Jefferson they died on the same day July 4th 50 years after the Declaration of Independence wow. was signed. What, How's that for bookends in lives yeah. given to... What a way uh, to go out. That's yeah. right. And they <laughs> died the same day, July 4th. So I'm reading that and have loved it. I love historical stuff. Uh, you know, I did uh, my dissertation on Jane Austen and Henry James. Oh, wow. I'm a literature person. Uh, and loved learning the history of 17th, 18th, early 19th century that helped me get the background of the, the novels I was writing about. And you're talking to two history majors. There you go. That's right. We love this stuff. That's right. Um, But because it's Lent, of course, I I always try to do something during Lent that helps me focus uh, really on the spiritual life. And what I'm reading right now, and I read it once before, is a glorious book called Jesus, a Pilgrimage. And it's written by Father James Martin, S.J., a Jesuit. Uh, It was published in 2014. Now, it's rare that a book like that makes the New York Times bestseller list. When it came out, Mm -hmm. it went right straight to number nine on the bestseller list. And I think it's because it wasn't just yet another book on Jesus, about whom more has been written than anything else, any any single person. Okay, um, it's but it's because it he gives a personal encounter of his part mm-hmm. with Jesus during a pilgrimage to the Holy Land that he and another friend of his went on for several weeks, and uh, so I uh, I remember thinking one of those things on my bucket list in life 
would be someday to go to the Holy Land. Uh, and I had that marvelous opportunity a couple of years ago. I went with a good friend of mine who is a theology teacher. Uh, and so uh, it was great, wasn't it, to go with her. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she also is a spiritual director, so it was marvelous. And we we went all over the Holy Land, you know, from Bethlehem to the Sea of Galilee, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And I went on that hoping that I could begin to discern when should my last year at St. Ambrose be. I was 70 at that point, uh, I'll be 74 this summer, and was hoping I could get a sense of when should it be the last year. And we were sitting, and I re- it's just like this thing I did in the uh, that years ago when I heard that call to religious life. Uh, my friend and I, one member of my community, and I were sitting at the Jordan River with our shoes off and our feet in the river, listening to hymns being sung and watching hundreds of people being baptized. And we were both just sitting there quietly praying. And as clearly as I heard that voice years ago, I heard myself say, 2021, that'll be the last year. (laughs) And I remember uh, when we left that day and we got back to our hotel room that night, I said, I got to tell you, I had one of those moments and I told her what happened. She said, trust that. You know, she's a spiritual director. She said, those calls from the inside, trust. So when I came home, of course, I went to see the bishop and we began the discussion. Uh, And it takes a long time to prepare a university for a presidential transition. And so he and the board worked with me over a couple of year period. And then, as you know, I announced in August, the search got underway and uh, we just, uh, um, you all had the opportunity to see the press conference with Dr. Novak Mm -hmm. just only about 12 or 13 days ago. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, that kind of brings you full circle. Mm. How did I get to this thing of religious life? How did I get to St. Ambrose? And how are we coming to the end of that time here? What will I miss? I will miss the people because (laughs) it is the people always who make the experience rich. Uh, And I have been so blessed in the faculty, the staff, the students, the boards, uh, whatever you can imagine, I have been so blessed. So, yeah. uh, well, we will certainly miss you, and we're glad that you will miss us because the opposite is not any good when you uh, can't wait to be out of here. And uh, <laughs> you know, sure. so yeah, no, for sure. Do you have senioritis? If you think about it, you and I are both seniors. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, senioritis usually means I can't wait to be done. Um, <laughs> I don't feel that way. I, you know, I am certainly engaged in a very intense uh, transition preparation oh, for yeah. Dr. Novak. But uh, no, I will. Uh, I will feel blessed for every day to that very last day when I leave my keys on the desk and head out. Um, sure, I'm excited about what this next phase of my life might bring in terms of volunteer ministry that I hope to do. But no, I'll, I'll tre- treasure every moment yeah. Megan I have here till I the end. I feel the same. Yeah. yeah. If oh, you yeah. are like most sisters that I have known, <laughs> you don't ever really no, retire. You find something else <laughs> to do, and I'm sure you will. But yeah. it'll be what you want to do and on your own time. That's and, right. That's and right. uh, in your own way. That's so. right. That's wonderful. Well, again, thank you. And you could not have bookended it perfect more it perfectly perfect, than yeah. you know starting with this uh, this call and and then kind of ending with that clear indication of when it was time to uh, to move on from here. But thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your 14 years of I would call it ministry truly uh, here yeah. at St. Ambrose. And uh, I know the students are blessed for it um, in ways they can't even understand, knowing what was here before and what's here now. And um, you know, even since my time uh, as a student how much has happened uh, in, in these last 14 and, and beyond years. So this is great. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Megan, I'll let you bring us home as you always do. All right. May the faith be with you. And with your spirit. (laughs) God bless, everyone. Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you.